0: Hello there and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I am joined today by our former political editor and current columnist Stephen Collins and also by historian Kira Meehan and they're both here to discuss their new book Saving the State, Fine Gael from Collins de Varadkar, which I've been reading over the last week as a sort of calming counterpoint to the high stakes drama currently playing out in the United States. The book tells the story of Fine Gael from its roots in the aftermath of the treaty and the civil war right up to its historic decision this year to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil. And I want to, to delve into some of the history in a moment. But first, you're both very welcome. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks. And maybe first, Stephen, before we go into that history, um, maybe you could uh, help me with a problem I've suffered for years when I'm talking to people from outside the country and trying to describe to them what the Irish political landscape is and give them a capsule version of what each of the political parties stands for. Uh, if you were doing such a thing with a political scientist from another planet, how would, what would be the capsule version of what Fine Gael is?
1: Well, I would say for a start, we don't operate on the European left-right spectrum, even though that is breaking down at the moment. I've often, when I'm speaking to people from outside the country, compared to American politics, it's more like Republicans and Democrats. The two big parties, well, the two formerly two big parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, were broad coalitions uh, of... Yeah, of different interests. I would say Fianna Gael would probably probably describe in European terms as centre right, uh, and Fianna Fail as centre left. Uh, but both would contain people uh, who have very different views. Fianna Fail would be more socially conservative, so Fianna, Fáil, Fianna Gael might be centre right but be more socially liberal. Um, so I would say the two big parties they share a. Very common analysis of the economy. They both believe in a mixed economy. Neither are right wing in the sense of being Thatcherite, believing that the state should not interfere in people's lives. Both, I think, uh, believe that they believe in a mixed economy uh, and that there should be a, a safety net uh, and that we sh- should have a decent welfare system uh, in so as we can afford one. So th- that's a very, very rough, uh, a very rough guide, uh, Hugh. And it doesn't really get down to it because the names of the parties confuse outsiders: Fianna Fail and Fianna Gael, and actually. This is why, going back to the title of our book, they originated in the Civil War. They originated in the independence movement uh, in 1922 when it fractured, when it uh, divided over whether or not we should agree a treaty with the UK in in, in terms of the form of independence we're going to have. So uh, they've come from that route. So they both come from a similar route. They both share economic views, uh, but they've been essentially competing for power uh, since uh, the past century or so.
0: I mean, I might dig into the, the the other part of that in a little while, which is, I suppose, what what is vaguely described as the culture, the different culture of the different parties, um, in uh, as it's developed over the years. But Kira. Just to go back then to the 1920 s because I think a lot of people think of Fine Gael as a party that started albeit under another name in the wake of the of, of the treaty and the uh, and uh, and the Civil war when common and nail was founded but common and, Ale, although it may be the dominant strand, is not the only strand that feeds into the party that we now call Fine Gael that was formed in the early 1930s
2: yes that 's correct. I think when people talk about um the creation of Fine Gael, they often see it as a rebranding of the Come party. Um, but actually, there is a, a much wider um, kind of pool that creates Fine Gael, And that includes, obviously, the blue shirts, which is the most contentious element, um, but also uh, the, the legacy of the Farmers Party and also the Irish Parliamentary Party tradition as well. You have Frank McDermott's uh, National Centre Party uh, that becomes um, a component part of Fine Gael, bringing in um, a, a much longer tradition that, as I say, uh, goes back into the farming community, goes back into uh, the Irish Parliamentary Party. Um, and I think because of the controversy over the blue shirts, that element tends to be forgotten. Although John Bruton uh, has been very active in trying to um, highlight uh, the links that he sees between Fine Gael and uh, the tradition going back to, to John Redmond and constitutional nationalism.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we'll we'll come to the blue shirts in a moment. But I mean, I should I should hold up my hand and uh, declare my my own gene pool here. My own grandfather was a, um, was a member of the national league, which was the the Redmondite party which won some seats in the Dole in 1927 and he and pretty much all of them ended up in the new Fine Gael party. So there is that tradition of the the, the remnants of the Irish constitutionalism after, after independence and I suppose also what might be called, in the case of my grandfather for example, who was elected in Donegal, also the Protestant vote, what had formerly been the Unionist vote
2: yeah um they you see that with people like Major Brian uh, Cooper, for example, who become um very heavily involved with Cuiga. The Protestant element I suppose in some ways drops out after the after nineteen thirties um but certainly found a natural home within Cuigale uh, and then later in finnegagal so um there is certainly a lot of continuity uh, between the members of Cugal and Finnegal, but as you rightly say uh, other key characters um from uh, the the constitutional tradition finding a home within Fine Gael as well.
0: Let's go into the blue shirt thing with a little bit more detail, Stephen, if 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 you wouldn't mind, because it seems to me this is the uh, quite large skeleton that still rattles around in the historical closet of Finnegale, and I'm not sure that they've still fully come to terms with it or figured out how to both acknowledge it, own it, and dispense with it.
1: Yeah, well, the Blue Shirts uh, arose from a very specific historical period, and Ciara probably would know more about this than I would. Uh, but it arose after the 1932 election when the IRA campaigned for Fianna Fáil very forcefully. And then there was an election in 1933 in January 33, uh, Some of the Gael meetings at that stage were broken up. Uh, no free speech for traitors was a Republican slogan. So in order to try and uh, protect the right to free speech... Uh, Supporters of Commonwealth, some of them formed the well the Army comrades association, uh, which then transformed into the blue shirts uh, so uh, what started i think as a, a an understandable um probably justifiable uh, defense then turned into uh, uh, an organisation which had the trappings of some of the fascist movements in Europe, and certainly wearing the blue shirt. I mean, there were the black shirts and the brown shirts. Uh, the, the, the Europe appeared to be going fascist in the early 1930s um, in the way that the world appears to have been going populist over the last few years. <clears throat> so the blue shirts uh, then then became a, quite a significant force challenging the government uh, going outside the law um, and it, it certainly was for a party that had founded the institutions of the state coming Gael, uh, to merge with the blue shirts and the the center party uh, w- was certainly an embarrassment uh, it, it how long it, it lasted didn't last very long owner duffy who was the leader of the blue shirts? A bit like Donald Trump, he was charismatic, but he didn't have uh, staying power, or he, he was uh, he was a very poor leader. And uh, there were some elements of the Common Gael who were very unhappy with the association with the blue shirts. So were people in the centre party. So uh, they, they got rid of O'Duffy, uh, but there's no disguising the fact that, uh, that they were uh, they, they dealt with them. Uh, sorry, that O'Duffy was a significant part of the Fine Gael history. And yes, Fine Gael in the subsequent uh, generations have found it difficult to, to deal with that. W- was it w- w- Were they fascists? Were they not? Um, I think on the overall argument I would accept would be that they weren't r- really fascist but it were, they were going down a dangerous direction. Um, but if you look at subsequent history when it came to the Second World War I mean, Fine Gael uh, did not support the Nazis. In fact, Fine Gael was accused of not being uh, enthusiastic enough about Irish neutrality. And in fact, James Dillon left Fine Gael to support the Allied cause whereas the people who who supported the nazis were some of the extreme republicans uh, with Sinn shin were on, the, on, on on the nazi side rather than Fine Gael. so um but but does nonetheless the party has had difficulty Explaining it, I remember years ago during the Garrett Fitzgerald period, and Gareth Fitzgerald would certainly have had no truck with the blue shirts, with that element of their history. But I remember there was some commemoration I covered as a as a reporter, where James Dillon addressed a meeting of Fianna Gael people in Dublin, in I think it was in in, in the Mansion House, uh, and having described uh, talked about how the great history of the party, he then said, "When we should not forget the blue shirts." Now Garrett was on the at the top table beside him and looked particularly uncomfortable, and James Dillon went back on the thing. We we had to defend our right to free speech. We if we didn't. Defend a right to free speech, we wouldn't have democracy. So he was pitching the blue shirts as actually um, uh, essential to the preservation of democratic norms, which I think was gilding the lily more than a bit. But so, but I think it does show you, and certainly that night, uh, I, I, you could see that Fitzgerald was very uncomfortable. So they've never. It is. It is part of the. It is a skeleton in the cupboard. Uh, and they. It, 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 I don't know know if many people nowadays, uh, your average voter, pays much attention to it or not. In the old days, blue shirt used to be hurled across the. Floor of the doll by Fianna Fáil people as a term of insult. Uh, in more recent decades, uh, I think even Fianna Gael people themselves refer to each other as the blue shirts. So uh, I think the, the the fascist resonance would have faded.
0: Yeah, it still resonates a little bit a bit for me. It also goes very much, Kira. Um, Contrary to the what what I would take to be the the overall thesis of the book and it 's implicit in the in the title as well is that you know from establishing the original institutions of the state um, in the years after independence through to that very key moment when power is handed over um, to fina fall without bloodshed in one thousand nine hundred and thirty two which was no mean thing actually, and was really what really established the new democratic state i think fundamentally that Fine Gael has been at the heart of the uh, preserving the legitimacy of the Irish state, which is one of the remarkable achievements of this country since independence, unlike many, many other European countries which fell prey to totalitarian or anti democratic forces at one point or another.
2: Yeah, the, the title of our book reflects um Fine Gael's own sense of self and uh, its the way that it sees itself as the defender or the saviour savior of the state at certain points. Um, but I think as well, what's important to remember about the Blue Shirts, and, and the historian Mike Cronin has done a lot of work around this as well, is that um, despite having some very obvious trappings um, of the continental fascist movement, um. Although, and again, there were some minorities within the the blue shirt supporters who were in favour of this. Overall, though, their policies didn't promote any disestablishment of the doll or the Senate as it was at the time, and that's a quite an important thing to remember because they weren't seeking to overthrow democracy in that way. Um, so the blue shirts, on the face of it, and and when compared with continental fascism, yes, certainly seems to go in in um, flying the face of this idea of Finnegall defending the institutions of the state but it is more nuanced than that. I would also say that Ono Duffy, um, and I say this sort of half flippantly, um, perhaps if we were still alive might get a kick out of the idea of being on the cover of a book called Saving the State um, because when he was... um, Guard Commissioner, uh, he submitted multiple reports uh, to the cabinet um, about what he considered to be degenerate elements of society. He was very uh, motivated with keeping a a chaste and a pure society, and so on. Um, now, I don't, uh, you know, agree with uh, some of the things that he was arguing at the time, but he certainly see, saw himself as someone who was trying to save the the soul of Ireland as well.
0: Well, he did, of course, you know. Go off to go off to Spain to fight for Franco. Subsequently,
2: he did. He did, and uh, I think after he was removed as the leader of uh, as as the president of Fine Gael he really uh, embraced fascist ideals. Then, at that point, you could see the descent into it um, prior to that. But afterwards, uh, he became much more kind of authoritarian in in the way in his views and and kind of the the things that he expressed. Um, but again, kind of just to go back to what Mike Cronin and, and even Morris Manning um, have pointed out in their histories of the Blue Shirts um, that there is a a disconnect at times between what O'Duffy believes and what the maybe grassroots uh, Blue Shirts um, were thinking at the time as well.
0: Now Stephen, um, when that transfer of power to Fianna Fáil happened in 1932, Fine Gael entered one of um, its several long years in the wilderness periods would be 16 years before before it was back in government in, in 1948. And then again after 1957 there was another 16 years that it was out of power and then of course more recently in direct leave- living memory it had another long dark winter from 1997 to, to 2011. That, is Fine Gael to some degree um, defined by its own failure to uh, um, be in power as much as it should have been?
1: Yeah, well, there was a huge period when Fine Gael uh, wasn't in power, and when Fine Gael uh, certainly you could describe the party as a failure. It, it hung on as the main opposition party, uh, and it appeared to have formed a, a kind of a mentality that it was happy enough to be in opposition. Um, but there were long there were long periods out of government, and it only managed to get back into government uh, in coalition with either a number of other parties or with the Labour Party. The Labour Party was always its kind of uh, more reliable ally to go into government with. But Fianna Fáil were the dominant party in Ireland for almost 80 years. Fianna Fáil was the biggest party. Fianna Fáil was able to get an overall majority uh, up to nineteen, up to the early 1980s. Uh, and Fianna Gael re- really struggled. And I think that's one of the reasons Fianna Gael, certainly in more modern times, changed this leader so often. They were searching for uh, a formula. So it was a bit like in the old Celtic times, they decapitate the leader uh, as an excuse for failure. Um, Rather than trying to, to, to build the organisation, uh, quite often it was a chaotic organisation. In some ways, uh, it reflected maybe the background. Uh, F- F- Fianna Fáil had a c- had a cross class support. Fianna Fáil was very strong in working class areas. It had a strong middle class base as well. Fianna Gael tended to retreat to uh, its, its supporters among the professional classes and the larger farmers, who in a sense weren't as hungry as long as the state was being run in a reasonably effective manner. As Fianna Fáil did manage to do it a lot, a lot of the time, they, they didn't really have the hunger for power, and they were content to be to, to be critics of the uh, of the Fianna Fáil government rather than having the ambition to be in government themselves. I think it was Gareth. It, it, it wasn't until Gareth Fitzgerald really modernised the organisation in the late nineteen seventies that and Fianna Gael saw themselves as challenging Fianna Fáil to be the biggest party in the state. They almost made it and then collapsed and fell away again and from 1987 until 2011 there was more than there was uh, If that whole period they were only in power for two and a half years as by almost by accident um, and it was only in, in, in 2011 for the first time in its history as, a, as, a, as under the label Fianna Gael, that it actually became the largest party in the state and that's because Fianna Fáil had made such an enormous mess of the economy at the time and since that big triumph in 2011, the party has struggled again. It's held onto power for far longer than it ever had has before. But his vote and its number of seats have been in decline. So the, the, the party has had a lot of challenges. But one thing I would say is that the loyalty that Fine Gael still commands despite its ineffectual organisation uh, quite often was that when in 2002 in particular when Fine Gael had a disastrous election I remember lots of people were writing the obituary I remember as a journalist a lot of the political colleagues wrote the obituary of Fine Gael and said it couldn't it couldn't survive it had no function anymore and yet it clung on so there is there is a loyalty there to uh, the notion of what Fine Gael is about uh, among a number of people that was strong enough to keep the party alive and to keep it basically to keep it in the game until the time I turned and was able to come back into power.
0: Yeah, a lot of what Stephen says there is very interesting to, uh, to me. Here, there's there's some very striking vignettes in the in the book. There's one of John A. Costello. Uh, in 1948 when he's on the day that he is about to be elected Taoiseach and he was a part-time politician and to some extent he was a part-time Taoiseach. He continued his his activities down the law library and he's down the four courts on that day and he bumps into I think it's Tom O'Higgins and he offers him a a ministership on the day which speaks to a certain kind of shambolic amateurism or maybe also uh, I sense in what Stephen is saying there a sense of kind of noblesse oblige that they're not really professional politicians because they are embedded in the country's elite. It almost struck me as a as as a version of um, more recent examples of senior Fine Gael politicians WhatsApping their pals in the medical profession. So if you're so rooted in the law library or the higher parts of the medical profession, you don't perhaps need to get around to do some of the 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 dirty tricks which they were always accusing Fall, sometimes with some justification of because you have your hands on the levers of power already.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think describing Fine Gael, probably up until the Fitzgerald era as a an amateur party uh, rings true. Um, and it's not just in the law library that, you know, you've got um, members of, of the parliamentary party who are active in business as well. Uh, as you said, they're, they're well connected and well networked uh, with many kind of key players uh, in society. So they have a degree of influence um, outside of the parliament. Um, and I think that's partially reflected in the fact that uh, if you look at the minutes of the parliamentary party at the time uh, there are conversations around people not turning up not turning up to vote um, general lack of attendance um, which of course then feeds into kind of a lack of interest in developing policy as well so um, for a lot of the the politicians of, of Fine Gael for for many decades um the uh, operation of a political party wasn't really a priority for them. Um, and you can see the frustration that causes for some of the younger generation like Declan Costello, uh, when he formulates his just society ideas, which are not just about trying to create a better society for Ireland, but also about trying to reinvigorate Fine Gael and inject some professionalism into the party. Um, but certainly that part-time nature of how it operates from the leadership right down uh, um, and and a, a contentment in being in opposition almost uh definitely influences uh its its performance at that time
0: um yeah stephen there's a sort of recurring theme you see it in the in in the 1950s when the country is really on its knees uh economically and people are starting to think about what's going to be Required and um, TK Whitaker is a is a rising star in the civil service and ultimately he will drive the kind of the fairly profound change in in public policy which will will lead to greater economic growth. But that doesn't actually happen until until Fianna Fáil get back into power until Sean Lemass takes those on boards. So. The the idea, the germ of an idea m- might happen in a, in a gael led administration, but it's Fianna Fáil who do it. And in a way, you could argue, and we could, you know, we could argue for ages about the the, the various merits of the various economic programs. But Fine Gael wanted to do certain things in the nineteen eighties and was constrained by from doing so. And some of those things were done by Fianna Fáil with uh, with some success. Then, when Fianna Fáil came into power, so there is a sort of recurring pattern there, isn't it? Fine gael might have an idea, but they're not able to execute it.
1: Yeah, well, there is. Uh, Fine Gael might have had an idea. Actually, the second Fine Gael uh, inter government from 54 to 57 uh, was in power at a very difficult time, economic time. But the Minister for Finance at the time, Gerald Sweetman, who was a tough nut and who brought in some austerity budgets, he did, as you say, appoint TK Whitaker, But he did more than that. Uh, they also brought in uh, the export tax relief, which turned into our current uh, 12.5% corporate tax relief. Uh, and, and Sweetman and Whittaker had, a, had the idea of trying to open up uh, the Irish economy to dismantle protectionism uh, and and involve us in the in 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 the way in, in the free trade area in the Western world, which was the, the the economy of Europe. Europe, most European countries were roaring ahead in the fifties, and we were we were languishing in in outdated policies. Um the problem was that it didn't have a majority. It was in coalition with the Labour Party, and the Labour Party had some good ideas and some very good ideas in terms of uh, social housing. Um, and the Labour Party had, had many achievements, but neither of those two parties ever got credit for the achievements they had in the period because things were so tough. Fianna Fáil came in and effectively implemented Fianna Gael policy. Uh, Lamas built on Sweetman's policy and Whitaker uh, w- w- was, the, was the person who drove it through. And I, as you say, in, in 1987, it was a similar situation. From 1982 to 87, uh, the Fianna Gael Labour government struggled with a huge uh, national debt they actually Gareth Fitzgerald deserves more credit than they get. he's often accused of actually completely failing on the economy they, he stopped it getting worse and we, 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 he stopped it going over the edge of the cliff uh, but of course in politics that's not good enough and he, st- and he couldn't do any more because his, his his coalition partners Labour uh, would, would have walked out on him because Labour was riven with dissension at the time so F- Fine Gael in government wasn't able to deliver uh, but they put the budget the 1987 budget which John Bruton drafted and which Labour left government on was actually the budget that Ray McSharry and Fianna Fáil brought in, and it's it's quite yeah it got huge credit for the turnaround uh, in in the economy. So uh, the, the, I think the one occasion when, when when the opposite, if you like, happened was uh, uh, during our more recent financial crisis when the country again was on the edge of the precipice, uh, and it was actually Fianna Fáil who had, who had, were responsible. For the country and for the creation the conditions which led to the financial crash, but Fianna Fáil took enough of the emergency measures, tough, very harsh, very unpopular measures, to pull it back from the edge of the cliff. So Fianna Gael came in, and to Kenny and Eamon Gilmore, and they effectively implemented the policies that Fianna Fáil. Uh, were 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 committed to, uh, and and also be, they were committed to because of the uh, the, the European bailout. Uh, but in there was the first time that actually Finnegall were in, in a position to implement the policies of Ford and get some credit, uh, if not an awful lot, for actually the economic turnaround uh, which came uh, in in the wake of two thousand and, and, and ten and eleven. So uh, and then again, of course, then we ended up with the. Situation which we thought we'd never see, uh, what Fina Fall and Fina Gale, uh, coming edging closer together in 2016 with this, uh, uh with an arrangement because they, they, they had some a government had to be put in place. The confidence and supply arrangement was something new, but actually going into formally going into coalition this year, which I think has, uh, Marks a huge shift in Irish politics that the two parties who 100 years ago fought a civil war, Uh, as you said earlier on, the handover of power in 32 was was an essential uh, facet of a democracy, but now the two parties uh, are sharing power together, mainly because of course, they have to because the alternative Sinn Fein became uh, a, a rival, and the, the most recent election transformed Irish politics yet again and forced the, the old two, the, the two old uh, campaigners, to come together again.
0: And, and we might talk a little bit about, about the, the potential future for the party, but maybe just to go back a little bit, the Just Society was already mentioned. This is a document that I've been aware of all my life. I've never read it to be to be perfectly honest, but it, I I know it kind of casts a, not a shadow, but it has it, it. was deeply influential in the in the way that the party developed, certainly in the 70s and the 80s. And under Gareth Fitzgerald's leadership, and and although I note in the book, it's kind of it's described as being you know perhaps not as important as people thought it was, but. It um it did mark a, a shift on the I suppose the social policy side, um, from what the party had been previously. It really was a conservative party both both socially and economically in the nineteen twenties and the nineteen thirties, wasn't it, Kieran? in fact it was Finnegale that implemented a lot of the the sort of the the confessional state elements of the of the new state in the nineteen twenties, the um Basically being do- done what they were told by the bishops a lot of the time, strict censorship, um, the banning of divorce, various other kinds of things. Just society kind of pointed another direction, which slowly became more and more important for, for the party.
2: Yeah, Hugh, first of all, I'd say that you're you're not on your own and not having read the document. Uh, there are plenty within the party and beyond who haven't read it either. Um, the title, The Just Society, is a wonderful slogan uh, and allows for people to speak to what they believe is in the document. The document itself, you're right, does represent a shift for Fine Gael, but it's not a particularly radical uh, document, although it's quite lengthy. Um, it is in keeping with uh, thinking that's happening more broadly internationally at the time, a shift away from um, kind of church influence over the state uh, and um, kind of greater um, uh, greater say for people in, in determining what they want um, from, from politics. Um, I think what it really did in terms of Fine Gael are two things. One is challenge the party to think about what it was Jacqueline Costello was very clear that Finegal could not continue with dis- defining itself as not Fianna Fáil, and he wanted it to create an identity of its own. Um, and you see Garret Fitzgerald really doing that when he takes over leadership of the party. And the second thing that it did um, was. To create an identity crisis ultimately, because it did shift towards a more liberal understanding, which then GARD built on with the constitutional crusade uh, of the 1980s. Um, and this kind of moved away from the conservative um, elements that had dominated Fine Gael, but not totally. And so you now have these kind of um, two ways of, of thinking about society that don't sit comfortably with each other. And, and that very much plays out. During the Fitzgerald era, and then afterwards as well, when Gael are really in a crisis of identity, uh, and you see that as, as Stephen mentioned earlier, in terms of uh, its tendency after Fitzgerald to then blame the leadership. And uh, Olivia O'Leary said they became, uh, a, you know, a leader serial killer um, with the, the people that are removed. So yeah, Costello's uh, document casts this long legacy. Um, but I don't think it was actually as influential in terms of policy um, as perhaps is is sometimes suggested, but is very important in terms of shaping uh, the party's mentality, if that makes sense.
0: Mm, it, do, it does. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about it is that, that um, the, the party, Stephen, has been constrained from coming out of the closet fully as the centre-right party, which you described it as at the the top of this podcast, it seems uncomfortable with with fully taking on that identity. And partly that may be due to the fact that it's always had to, when it has had the opportunity to go into government, it's almost always had to go into coalition with with parties of the centre-left. But it's also, there's an element of kind of having its cake and eating it. And maybe that, came to a head in the 1980s for a number of reasons, not least the fact that for the first time it was challenged from the right, I suppose, by the progressive Democrats who, I mean, were embodied in in political terms, mostly by former Fianna Fáil politicians, but who actually challenged Fine Gael more in terms of um, taking its vote and offering perhaps a more pro-free market, more right of centre position.
1: Yes, I think Fine Gael has been constrained by two things. One is, as you say, uh, they ha- in, it, to get into government... They have been depending on the Labour Party, so uh, th- there was no great incentive to shift to the right. Secondly, uh, in Irish politics, uh, whatever people actually, however they behaved, behave, uh, a right right wing is regarded as a bad thing, just in the generally uh, whereas left wing is not an insult, right wing is, a, is still an insult uh, to a party. So Fine Gael don't want to uh, identify too strongly, uh, and uh, in, in in European terms. They're not very right wing, but they are part of the. Again, we asked earlier on where would your situation. there are They are part of the European People's Party group in the European Parliament, and they are the Christian Democratic parties. Some of those parties would have no difficulty describing themselves as as conservative, if not right wing. I'd say conservative would would be the, the, the label. Um, but there are different. Uh, the, the, there are different elements in Fine Gael. I think. Um, People say, for instance, Pascal Dunhu has been arguing very strongly uh, uh, that Fine Gael is a centre party, that the centre is the, uh, the future of politics and that the centre has been challenged by both the hard right and the hard left and that the wave of populism, left and right wing populism, can only be met by a strong centre ground. So he clearly, and he's one of the people who thinks about things in the party, he clearly sees Fine Gael very firmly in the centre and maybe slightly left. Leo Varadkar would be maybe in the centre and slightly right and Leo Varadkar actually in the book in an interview for the book he did we're asking him about the future he thought that Irish politics would become become a bit like Dutch politics with a lot of parties roughly equal but he saw the threat to Fine Gael in the future coming from uh, from a right wing party from a much more uh, openly free market uh, low taxation type party like the PDs, uh, and he thought that was their vulnerability if they didn't uh, if they didn't cater for that element of the electorate to some degree.
0: Because there is a gap in the market there, Stephen, isn't it? I mean, it is strange. I mean, it's not an unusual thing in any democratic country to have a party, you know, a relatively significant part of the political landscape occupied by a party that unabashedly describes itself as centre right or conservative.
1: No, that's true. But in Ireland, there isn't a huge market for it. Even looking at the Irish Irish Times opinion polls are very interesting. When we ask questions like, do you want, which is more important, lower lower taxation or public services? Uh, The people who are most strongly uh, in favour of public services and against lower taxation are the better off, the ABs. Uh, are actually the more the, the more the more liberal. It's, it's actually if you go down, it's it's more working class voters who say they want lower taxation as a priority. So I'm not sure there's a huge market for a, a nakedly right wing uh, individualistic uh, style of politics. I think you could see uh, a small handful a handful of seats uh, going to some party like that, but not very many. Uh, not unless. Uh, as long as, I think as the if, if the economy continues to do all right, I'm saying that we're coming to COVID. We have no idea where this whole uh, how COVID the impact is going to have on the on the economy. It could it could down the line cause enormous strains, and in in those kind of strains those situations, I think that's where new parties uh, emerge. Back, The PDs emerged in the 1980s when, the, when there was a huge crisis uh, in, in economic management of the country, when Fine Gael wasn't able to deal with the problems and Charlie Hawley and Fianna Fáil appeared not to even recognise the problems. Uh, so I think that, that gave a, 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 an opening for the PDs. Uh, at the moment, I don't really see an opening for, uh, for a strongly right-wing party as long as Fine Gael continues to cover its Conservative flank.
0: Right, Kira. Um, I mean, we you, you said earlier that Fine Gael, in the middle of the last century, tried to start defining himself as something more than not Fianna a But being not Fianna a I would suggest, is still part of the party's identity up until much more recently. But that has obviously become less important. As Fianna Fáil itself has has decreased dramatically in in size and support, and in fact, in terms of the history of Fine Gael, the last decade has been a remarkable time because it's been in power for a far longer continuous period than at any other other point in its history. And a lot of people are suggesting, as as Stephen mentioned there, that the political landscape has now changed entirely from the bipolar one we were used to for most of the last century. And that in that situation, not Fianna Fáil is just not going to be an important part of the brand anymore, particularly when they're, as they are right now, in in coalition. So what is the identity then? And is it possible that the new brand of Fine Gael is just that it's not Sinn Féin?
2: Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I wouldn't write off not Fianna Fáil entirely, um, because uh, at the next election, if Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil aren't going to have another coalition, Fine Gael still needs to establish its, its identity, um, and, you know, needs to work for those votes. But it is interesting that in the last few years, and particularly the last few months leading up to the most recent election, that uh, Finnegall has obviously refocused its energies on Sinn Fein, criticising the party, um, trying to point out, you know, trying to, I suppose, question the legitimacy of the party and emphasising very heavily uh, some of its its longer history. Um and so yeah, um Fine Gael, I think in in the future will frame itself more in the context of Sinn Fein um and revert back to um its own again to go back to the title of the book um and this sense of Finnegel being the defenders of the state. So um really Uh, Framing the party in the context of um, democracy, um, you know, defending the democratic structures of the state over the time and attempting to delegitimize Sinn Féin.
0: I mean, uh, Stephen, this is quite quite an old playbook, isn't it? I mean, you can look at posters from the 1932 election campaign, Fine Gael posters, and what they're saying about Fianna Fáil at the time, about the shadow of a gunman and it being, you know, extra-legal or extra-judicial uh, activities. And those are exactly the same um, attacks that it's now making on Sinn Féin.
1: Yes, I think there is a bit of a difference though in the modern Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Sian famously described them as a slightly constitutional party but once Fianna Fáil entered the Dole, they they threw themselves full time into politics Sinn Féin, there are still questions about who runs Sinn Féin is it the army council of the IRA in fact it is the army council of the IRA uh, it, it, you know, you've, you've seen evidence of that over the last while so I think um, F- Fianna Gael's appeal to people is it may, that it isn't, that it is the, maybe the bulwark against Sinn Féin Um and that Sinn Fein's economic policies would be very, very much on on, on on the populist left side of the equation, uh, but I don't think it's the economic arguments that really go to the heart of it. I think it's, it's the argument about uh, about the democratic uh, standards uh, and what kind of country people want. And I think it is interesting, all right, in recent opinion polls. Although, again, people need to take opinion polls with a huge grain of salt because uh, we've had elections in 2016 and 2020, uh, and the party has been way below what it has achieved in some of the polls in between. Between elections, but the positive side for Fine Gael is that uh, a, a, num- a lot of the, a significant proportion of the of the electorate, and particularly the young electorate, do see uh, Fine Gael as the alternative to Sinn Féin. There's a huge drift to Sinn Féin among the younger age groups, but there's also uh, a, a consolidation uh, and a rise in the Fine Gael vote, and Fianna Fáil is getting squeezed between the two parties. Fianna Fáil is is losing support to Sinn Féin, and its old working class heartlands have gone to Sinn Féin. And it's losing some middle-class support to Fine Gael on the basis of Fine Gael is the, is the party most likely to stop Sinn Fein. So I think, yeah, I think it's a fair point. But Fine Gael, I think this is what Pascal Dunne is trying to do. He's trying to identify, it's not just we're an anti-Sinn Fein party, it's, we stand for certain principles, and economic principles, social principles. And again, we, sh- we shouldn't forget one of the things that has happened in Fine Gael over the last 10 years, it's become the socially liberal party. And it wasn't in, the earlier, in this earlier manifestation, it was a socially conservative party, but it's a socially liberal party that. I think it's it's tried plugged itself into uh, the changing trends in Irish society, uh, and I think that is uh, partly why it is doing doing well uh, in 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 the polls, whereas Fianna Fáil. By comparison, Fianna Fáil, uh, the, 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 the makeup of the Fianna Fáil vote is elderly. It reminds me, I worked in the Irish press in my early stages of my career and they used to say the problem with the Irish press was the readers were dying off and were not being replaced. And I think that is Fianna Fáil's problem at the moment. Fianna Gael, ha- he is managing to replace uh, a, 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 a replace members with a younger cohort, not just the members, voters and supporters. So, um, look, it's, I think politics has been so volatile, um, it's it's impossible to judge where it's going to go, but I think Fine Gael is reasonably well positioned to survive into the future in a way you'd have thought two decades ago that it was on its last legs.
0: And Kira, isn't the real politic of this that um Sinn Fein and Finnegel have uh, share a mutual um objective or they both they both benefit from the decline and who knows if it's going to be the disappearance parties don't really seem to disappear. But the decline of Fianna Fáil benefits both both Finnegale and Sinn Fein and in, and in fact um a strong Sinn Fein um, benefits Fine
2: yeah, as, as Stephen said, um, Fianna Fáil are losing uh, votes to Fine Gael, but also losing them to Sinn Féin. And that creates space, I suppose, for Fine Gael to compete um, more actively for the, the Fianna Fáil vote. Um, so were Fianna Fáil to disappear from the party political system, and I'm not convinced that they would, um, but certainly uh, it seems likely that Fine Gael would hoover up quite a substantial portion of those votes, um, though many of the grassroots perhaps might not not be willing to admit that themselves.
0: Just a the last question, Stephen. Um, nearly a nearly a century on from the, for the formation of, of Finegale's precursor, Coming to Gale, um, what state do you think the party is in? Is it in good health? Do you think its future looks looks assured?
1: I think it's in reasonable health. I think it's, as I said, I think it's in a better position than you would have thought uh, two decades ago when uh, people were writing uh, the party's obituary. Um, It's got, uh, it's a lot very it's a young age group its ministers are relatively young uh, I think they are plugged into uh, the, the way Irish society is going um, so I think the, as, as a centre party a centre party with uh, maybe centre right party I think they do have a future um, but one thing I think the most recent election showed us was how volatile the Irish electorate has become Sinn Féin uh, the performance of Sinn Féin astonished everybody including Sinn Féin for that matter because they didn't run enough candidates and um, and they would have certainly run for Far more if they'd known how well they were going to do. So. I, predicting the future is, is, is a mugs game really um, I think I've got it wrong like most other so-called pundits but I think I would think Fenegalia is in a reasonably healthy position um, and uh, is, is in a good position to survive for the next couple of decades
0: Well we shall leave it there just to say that Saving the State is published by Gill Books thanks to, to Stephen and to Kira for joining us here today uh, thanks also to our producer Declan Conlon remember that you can sign up for a subscription to the Irish Times at com slash inside and if you use that particular address, irishtimes.com slash inside, they will know that we sent you there and that helps us in our efforts to keep making this podcast a little bit better. So if you haven't done so already, we would really be delighted if you consider subscribing to the newspaper. And also, if you want to get in touch with us, we're always very pleased to hear from you. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.